Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays, wherever you may be across this great nation. I am your fearless leader, and I'm here to break down basically everything. But we begin with Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans staging one of the most improbable comebacks in modern history in the NFL. Down 14 with under three minutes to play. There were some out there who were saying that the game was over, that there was nothing left to play for, that, and I can't believe this would even happen, some people out there were even saying the Titans looked like they were intentionally trying to win, uh, lose instead of win. Uh, this is what I saw come across my timeline. If a team was trying to intentionally lose a game, they would do exactly what the Titans have done the past two times they have touched the football. Who was saying something that dumb? Who would even think to tweet that after a fumbled punt and a fumble pitch on the exact next play that led to the Titans being down 14 points? What ignoramus would suggest such a thing. Oh, that was me. Uh, At Clay Travis, yours truly, tweeted that right before the comeback began. I also said, Titans got to fire the new special teams coach now too. It's one of the dumbest teams I've ever watched. I stand by that. I also think that Tyreek Hill should be the NFL MVP based on how much worse the overall performance of the Miami Dolphins' offense is with and without Tyreek Hill. But to me, as much of the story as might well be the collapse of the Miami Dolphins, I actually thought this was a strong performance by Will Levis. Uh, Down like that, on the road, down 14. Credit to Mike Vrabel for going for two in the new analytics move. That's the first time, by the way, I've ever seen this work where you go for two down 14 to cut it to six. So if you score a touchdown, you have a chance to win. The analytics on it, I understand some people are like, what in the world are you talking about? I walked through it with my 15-year-old who's way smarter than me uh, from a book learning perspective and way better at math. Uh, Walked through it with my 15-year-old. And basically, I'll say the same thing to you. The analytics on this, because by the way, you know who used to read me on this? Todd Furman. Uh, My buddy Todd Furman would go through this with Cousin Sal and me all the time about how you should go for two every time in this scenario. The idea is it gives you a chance to win in regulation. And if you don't get it on the first, so let's say this exact scenario is in play, right? Uh, You are down 27 to 13 uh, and you score a touchdown. You kick the extra point, it makes it 27 to 20. And then if you come back down and you get the uh, you get the uh, score, you kick the extra point, you go tie up, right? The analytics would say you go for two. And the reason why the analytics would say you go for two is if you get it on the first try, 
you give yourself a chance to win with the second touchdown, which is exactly what the Titans did. Whereas if you don't get it, uh, then you still have a chance to go for two and tie the game and put it into overtime. Um, I understand why that's like uh, a little bit confusing to people because it represents a change. Because by and large, most people would say you don't go for two until you have to. That has been the historic uh, way that we've talked about going for two. Or you wait and go for two and go for the win. Uh, In that scenario, you score a late touchdown. There's only a few seconds left. Go ahead and go for the win. Uh, But everything worked flawlessly for the Titans. And I asked this question. Because I went on with my friends at the next round live. Uh, Lance Taylor, Jim Dunaway, Ryan Brown, been going on with those guys down in Birmingham for a long time. 13,000 of you voted in this poll in the first three hours. Which rookie quarterback would you rather your team have right now? C.J. Stroud obviously would go number one if we were redrafting right now. 69%, my kid's favorite number. They like it because it's popular on the internet. I think they have no idea otherwise. 69% of you said you would go Will Levis. 31% of you said you would go Bryce Young. Uh, So if you had to redo the draft, I think that's the right answer right now. I think Will Levis, so far this season, has looked better than Bryce Young has looked this season. And I don't believe there's any way, I really believe this, I don't think Bryce Young would would go in the first round right now Uh, based on what he has done and how he has performed so far in uh, in this season with the Carolina Panthers. Now, you could point to and say Carolina Panthers are awful. Guys, Titans are awful. Uh, The Titans were a three-point favorite at home against Carolina. Three and a half, maybe. That suggests that basically the Titans and the Panthers are equally bad. And so if they were both on the... uh, if they were both on the field together at a neutral site, that there wouldn't be very much difference between them. This is a big win. I know it knocks the Titans out of a better draft position, but I think winning on the road Monday night football for the overall coaching staff, I think this was a big win. It's been a disappointing season. Titans are now 5-9, and nine, I think, with three games to go. Not going to the postseason or sorry, they're five and eight with four to go. Not going to the postseason. Uh, going to go in somewhere probably around seven and 10, uh, six and 11 for the end of the season. Uh, to me, this is a, uh, this is a really good uh, situation to get that win. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I look back and I say, how much of our success is Tua? And that's why right now, in terms of individual what he means to the team. When Tua, uh, when Tua was not able to throw to Tyreek Hill, when Tyreek Hill was out with that sprained ankle, I will mention that I think Tyreek Hill was able to do the wheelbarrow celebration on the touchdown uh, that put the Dolphins up and somehow was able to return a kick but wasn't able to be on the field. I didn't really understand what was going on there with his use. But when he was on the field, even not at 100%, the Dolphins' offense opens wide up and is incredibly explosive. When he's off the field, they look fairly pedestrian, which is why I think you have to consider Tyreek Hill. Usually, it's only quarterbacks. I think you have to consider the idea of Tyreek Hill as a 2023 NFL MVP because when he's not in, 
this team looks way different. But nearly 70% of you would agree with me that Will Levis looks better than Bryce Young so far this year. We'll see whether that continues, but I think that's uh, that that's worthy of contemplation. And, and the stat of how crazy it was, Titans were down 14 with under three minutes to play. In that scenario, the last 767 times that it happened, the team that was behind was 0 and 767. 0 and 767, and now they are 1 and 767. Other game, Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito now has won three games as an underdog for the Giants, who appeared to have fallen apart when Daniel Jones was out for the season. Uh, They get the win on the last second uh, kick. I hope many of you have seen the Coming to America clip where Prince Akeem, the character played by Eddie Murphy, explains how the game was decided between the Packers and the Giants, and it came down to the exact explanation that he gave. Maybe when we clip this, we can share it and also clip that uh, moment from the uh, from the movie uh, back in the 1980s. Very funny. Coming to America, by the way, holds up. Still a very funny movie. Uh, if you want to watch something, because they can't really make comedies other than the movie that I was in, Lady Ballers. By and large, big Hollywood studios can't make uh, can't make funny movies anymore because they're terrified of offending identity politics interest groups. Uh, the other game, though, again, like I said, Giants get the win over the Packers. Jordan Love had been playing well. Tommy DeVito, uh, Italian superstar, he's been famous. I think kind of an iconic figure ever since he told everybody that he was still living at home with his mom and dad. Uh, which is which is absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, not only in this country, but also in Italy, many young Italian men, I think women, but more Italian men, continue to live at home because their moms are so fantastic to them. My wife is Italian, uh, so uh, we just came back from Italy. I'm not claiming that I'm an expert in Italian life, uh, but a lot of her family, Italian, um, and uh, and I think that whole storyline, given the huge Italian population in New York and New Jersey, is uh, is pretty fabulous. Bad news, by the way, some of you may not have even seen this yet. Uh, while Tommy DeVito's having success filling in for an injured Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, the Chargers announced in the last hour or so that Justin Herbert is now out for the season as well. It's been a brutal year for starting quarterback injuries, the number of them that have gone down with season-ending injuries, starting with Aaron Rodgers in week one, they have just been stacking one after the other. Uh, All right, I'm going to go to politics here in a sec, but this kind of ties in because it feels like it's basically sports. Did you see this? Donald Trump has announced that he is selling digital trading cards, a new set, related to his mugshot. And included in these digital trading cards is a physical card that has, like an actual card, that has pieces of his suit that he was wearing when he got his mugshot taken. They are, this is amazing. And if you don't have young kids or you aren't a card collector, you probably aren't aware of how common this is now. They will cut up uh, shoes, They will cut up jerseys, and they will include them as special edition cards inside of packs. 
my two youngest kids, my seventh grader and my third grader, are obsessed with card collecting. They love to buy cards. I liked it when I was a kid. I was a huge baseball card, football card guy, uh, basketball card too. Obviously, I'm a huge sports fan. Not going to surprise a lot of you that I was also a huge fan of uh, baseball cards and card collecting in general when I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. But they've got all these special edition cards now, and this is actually very, very common. In fact, I think Ron DeSantis did a baseball card from when he was at Yale. Remember, he was the captain of the Yale baseball team, and they cut up some of his old combat boots as a part of that trading card. So this in and of itself is is really a very cool idea. I imagine these things are going to sell out immediately and they're going to be all over eBay. But Trump's ability to profit off of a mugshot is already legendary, frankly, and pretty incredible. When we were down uh, at Mar-a-Lago last month, I was talking with Trump about the mugshot uh, and how iconic it was and the fact that he loved how it turned out. You can go listen to that uh, interview. And then he says, right then and there, he turns to his assistant, Margo. Margo's fantastic. And he said, Margo, go get the T-shirts with my mugshot on them. I want to make sure the guys get mugshot T-shirts. So Margo goes, she comes back, and, uh, and then Trump signed the mugshot T-shirts for us, which is pretty phenomenal. Again, the idea of doing the trading cards, I think is brilliant. I'm sure he's going to get criticized for this, but I think these cards are going to be worth a ton. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, all right, so that's going on. I want to give credit to Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports, who's like one of the only guys in sports media that will actually cover this story. Um, and I want to read exactly what Dan Wetzel said um, because I want to make sure that I get it right. Uh, but it is, uh, it is indisputable that this whole Me Too era has prompted a lot of made-up accusations. Um, And women, when you tell women, hey, believe all women, hashtag believe all women, you're playing identity politics with the truth, which is going to encourage some women to lie. Because, I know this is earth-shattering, some men lie and some women lie. Your gender does not dictate whether you are telling the truth or not. Neither does your race. Neither does your sexuality. Black people lie. White people lie. Asian people lie. Hispanic people lie. People of all different mixed races lie. People who are gay lie. Straight lie. Trans lie. Men lie. Women lie. You can't use identity as a proxy for truth. This is why Lady Justice is blind. It's one of the things I've been arguing for years. Here's what Dan Wetzel tweeted. A woman who initially alleged she was sexually assaulted by Matt Areza Uh, This was the punter, the so-called punt god. I believe he went to San Diego State, was then with the Buffalo Bills. When these allegations came out, the Bills dropped him. He's still not in the league. A woman who initially alleged she was sexually assaulted by Matt Areza 
has dropped her civil suit against the former NFL punter. Areza is making no monetary punishment uh, payment. He reserves the right to sue the woman's attorney, but will drop his defamation suit against the woman. The allegations, I'm reading from Dan Wetzel, stem from a 2021 party near San Diego State where Areza played. Authorities declined to prosecute and determined Areza was not even at the party during an alleged gang rape. He was cut by the bills in August of 2022 when the civil suit was first filed. Per Areza's lawyer, the win is bittersweet. Matt has been forced to defend himself for the last 16 months against false accusations and a campaign to ruin his career in the NFL. He will never get this time in his life back. Why in the world? Why in the world is this not the number one story everywhere? Because the allegations against Matt Areza became the number one story in all of sports media. Now that he has been cleared, both civilly and criminally, the story basically is vanishing. I haven't seen ESPN covering it. I haven't seen most big media outlets covering it. You may only be hearing about it because I'm discussing it. Credit to Dan Wetzel at Yahoo for covering it in the first place. Here's what should happen. Every media outlet should loudly proclaim Matt Areza's innocence in the same way that they proclaim the allegations against him as evidence of his impropriety. But more than that, if I were a state legislator or if I were a governor of a state, I would draft a new bill and I would introduce it immediately. And that bill would say as follows. If it is determined based on an investigation that you falsely allege that you have been sexually assaulted and the person that you make the allegation against is vindicated and it becomes clear that you lied about that sexual assault, you should be charged with the exact same punishment that that man generally, although it could be a woman, that that individual would have faced had they been convicted of your lie. In other words, if Matt Areza would be facing 20 years in prison, let's just say it's 20 years in prison if he were convicted of these allegations, then the woman who made the false allegations should be charged with making those allegations and she should face the same amount of time in prison that he did for those allegations if a jury convicts her of knowingly lying. This seems like a no-brainer to me. There should be a mirror law here. Because what usually happens, and by the way, women can do this and their names don't even get publicized because we have rape shield laws. I also think that if you are accused of rape, your name shouldn't be published because if you're innocent, you can never unring the bell of the accusation. Either both individuals' names should be public or neither individual's name should be public. And on top of that, we should have a mirror image law here where if you falsely allege someone raped you and you create this dynamic where the man is immediately guilty, by and large it's men, then you are proven to have told a lie 
you should face the same criminal punishment that he would have. This seems like a no-brainer. Again, if I were a, a governor, if I were a uh, if I were a state legislator, I would draft this and I would try to pass it in my state. I think every state should have mirror law here, where if you falsely accuse someone of sexual assault then you should be charged with a crime and the punishment should be the same for you lying as it would have been for that person if they had committed a sexual assault against you. Uh, All right, several other things out there. You guys know that I think I can solve any issue. Humbly, as always, I am the King Solomon of the internet. You put a challenging story in front of me I will look at all the facts and I will tell you what the right solution is. So, uh, there's a big debate right now about the timing surrounding Donald Trump's criminal trial that is set to begin on March 4th in Washington, D.C., surrounding the allegations of January 6th and and arguing that uh, Trump's behavior was criminal and there should be significant punishment for it. That's a rough approximation, just a rough outline of what's going on. Trump is arguing that all of his actions were within the scope of his presidential powers and that as a result, there should be no criminal culpability on his behalf. I actually happen to agree with Trump on this, okay? But let's take a step back. On top of this, okay, there now is a question about what the timing of this case is going to be. Judge Chutkin at the Criminal District Trial Court in Washington, D.C., has set a start date of March 4th. However, there are appeals about whether Trump's behavior is criminal or not as a matter of law. In other words, what Jack Smith is alleging would not be supported by the criminal code. If that uh, argument is true, then there are no cases. And they're trying, Jack Smith is, to expedite things because he wants this all to take place because this is a direct attack upon Trump's legitimacy as the chief political rival of Joe Biden. And they want to try to put, this is crazy, but it's going on, they want to try to put Donald Trump in prison so that he can't run a campaign and that he loses to uh, Joe Biden again in 2024. This is the most, in my opinion, deceitful attack upon an American election in my entire life. It makes January 6th look like jaywalking. They're trying to expedite the D.C. Court of Appeals review and the Supreme Court review to ensure that they can get this trial in before the actual election takes place. They're racing against the clock to try to impact things. Here's what I would do. All right, You can see how this sets up. There's Jack Smith's side. There's Donald Trump's side. Directly in the middle is now the Supreme Court, which is being asked to rule upon the timing here as well as the legality of Trump's argument. Now, I think Trump's argument is correct, but there will immediately be an argument that if Trump's argument is accepted, that the reason why it happened was because Trump appointed three justices and there are six Republican appointees and Chief Justice Roberts is rolling over already in the fetal position, worried about what people are going to think about the Supreme Court. So here's what I would suggest. The court should schedule an oral argument on the final day of April, the final week that oral arguments are allowed. Then they can release their opinion in late June of whatever arguments are being made. 
And either in late June, they will say there's no case at all here, or they will say that Trump can be prosecuted. But by the time they render that ruling, it will be impossible probably in late June to get a jury impaneled and to be able to actually complete this trial before we get into uh, the actual election. Everybody's going to be voting already. It's already going to be underway. And then you let the American public actually make a decision. Do you want Trump to be the nominee and to become the president? Or do you want Joe Biden or someone else, right? You let American democracy actually make a choice in this issue. I don't know why the Supreme Court would aid and abet the expedition of this case. Why in the world do they need this case to go to trial in March? There's plenty of reasons to vote for Trump or against Trump. The idea of the chief political opponent of the current sitting president of the United States being put in prison in the year when we are attempting to have an election is so banana republic, it should be, regardless of whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent, it should be absolutely unacceptable for any American who cares about free and fair elections. Presumably the Supreme Court does, and they can avoid becoming completely enmeshed in this by simply keeping the normal schedule in place, scheduling it for late April, having that argument, then releasing their opinion in late June, and then that would lead to the Supreme Court not having necessarily to weigh in, and everybody would be able to make their own decision uh, in the upcoming election. And by the way, I'm going to vote for Trump against Biden. I mean, that's not a tough call for me. Uh, But just so you know, a couple of other things. The Claudine Gay, who is the current Harvard president, was protected from consequences from her speech as well as plagiarism because of diversity and inclusion, in my opinion. Uh, Harvard would not fire a black woman because in order, if you, it's an amazing position, the black woman got hired, Claudine Gay, because of her race and her sex, and she gets to keep her job because of her race and sex, because based on what I've seen, she has clearly committed plagiarism in her writings that led to her getting a PhD, and also... There is a lot of reaction to her uh, comments to Elaine Stefanik uh, in the uh, congressional hearing. Now, I actually have a little bit of a different take on this than a lot of people would expect. I don't have a problem with a robust defense of the First Amendment. And so if Harvard, MIT, and Penn's presidents all want to say, we want to err on protecting all speech, even if it makes some students, faculty, uncomfortable. That means that we will support the right of the KKK to protest at Harvard or the rights of uh, people who believe in uh, Palestine and believe that Israel should not be an independent station uh, nation we would rather err on the side of allowing too much speech than try to censor it. But that's not what Harvard actually believes. So my concern when you fire people for what they say at these congressional hearings is that actually you create a more censorious environment as opposed to a more free speech environment. 
and that by deciding that you are going to demand that these people get fired, what's more likely to happen is that you're going to see more of a crackdown. Remember, Harvard was ranked 248 out of 248 when it came to supporting free speech. This Harvard uh, uh, president has been concerned about fat phobia and microaggressions and not using appropriate pronouns, yet she believes that Palestinian supporters, maybe even Hamas supporters, should be able to say awful things against Jewish people. Now, the reality, and a lot of Jewish people are suddenly having a light bulb moment go off, is Jewish people are sitting around saying, wait a minute, we've been oppressed for thousands of years. The Holocaust just happened about, what, 80 years ago? And now you're telling me that because we're white, because people look at Jewish people and think, oh, they're white, they're the oppressors, they're the colonizers, that they can say whatever they want about us and there's no protections for us at all? Wait a minute, we marched with you, BLM. We marched with you, LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, it's all true. But all Harvard cares about in its deep well of racism, and the same is true about everyone involved in this woke ideology, is all they care about is the idea of getting out there and saying, brown and black, you are victims, and they don't have the tools to look at the fact that the Palestinians murdered 1,200-plus innocent Jews and still hold over 100 of them hostage, they don't have the faculties to be able to analyze this and say, oh, wait a minute, the brown-skinned person was the evil one and the white-skinned person was the good one. And so my concern associated with this, I think certainly there's justification to fire this woman. My concern is that the result would actually be more restrictions on speech as opposed to what I would support, which is a full flourishing of speech. And I believe that everybody should be treated the same. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, male, female, uh, trans, non-trans, LGBTQ, blah, 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 whatever. Everybody should have content-neutral speech policies, which are not designed to support or protect you. You should be able to say the same thing about me, a white guy, as you can say about a black woman or a uh, trans-Hispanic person. That's why content-neutral policies should exist, and that's also why, in my opinion, expansive First Amendment protection should exist on all university campuses. Finally, there is a report that New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is endorsing Nikki Haley in the New Hampshire primary. I think what this is likely to lead to is Ron DeSantis comes in second in... uh, in Iowa, and Nikki Haley comes in second in New Hampshire, and then Nikki Haley ends up vice president for Trump or taps out sooner rather than later because I don't think the math is out there to get Nikki Haley to over 50% against Trump. I'm not sure the math is out there to get anybody over 50% against Trump, but I think Nikki Haley now being favored to come in second in New Hampshire and DeSantis being favored to come in second in Iowa actually ends up helping Trump because it keeps a consolidation from occurring of a primary opponent of Donald Trump. All right. I love all of you. Uh, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I'll be live tomorrow. Uh, We'll be doing the gambling show with Kelly in Vegas, Kelly Stewart. 
and we'll be doing our typical OutKick show. As I mentioned, Thursday will be the final OutKick show of the week because I am leaving on Friday for Australia for Christmas and New Year's. Cannot wait to go there. Uh, Should be a lot of fun. Appreciate all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been OutKick, the show.